0: Thank you, Andrew. Well, if you have your Bible, please do open with me to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11. It'll be really helpful for you to have that in front of you as we work down through it this morning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This morning's passage is... The Apostle Paul's account of how God saved a wretch like him. It is also an outline of how God saves sinners like you and like me. We've seen from the first couple of weeks in our series in this book that there is a problem in the Galatian churches to whom Paul is writing. Paul had preached the gospel in the Galatian region, which is modern-day Western Turkey, during his first missionary journey. He had planted a number of churches there. Soon after planting the churches, Paul moved on to new regions to plant churches and preach the gospel. And after Paul moved on from Galatia A certain group of so-called Christians from a Jewish background came to Galatia or rose up from within the Galatians and started to preach a different gospel to the one Paul preached. This group known as the Judaizers denied that faith in Jesus Christ alone was enough to save you they preached that to be truly right with God, you had to add to Christ's work. Obedience to the Old Testament law of Moses and adherence to Jewish tradition. Essentially, this group were saying that you had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian. Paul saw this problem he saw that this version, this false version of the gospel, would come with many issues. It would draw away from the sufficiency of the finished work of Christ. It would enslave people to fear because they would never know if they'd done enough to get into the good books with God. So Paul writes to the Galatians to address this issue of a false gospel and to call the Galatians, away from that false gospel onto the true gospel path. Last week in verses 6 to 10, we saw Paul express his absolute astonishment that the Galatians were so quickly turning away from the true gospel to this false gospel. And now in the section we come to this morning, from verse 11 to 24, Paul we see, wastes no time in mounting his response to the false claims of these proponents of the false gospel. Now, one of the main arguments from Paul's opponents was that the message that Paul preached was man-made, something Paul invented himself, and it was not genuinely from God. And look at the way Paul addresses this head on in verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. That is man-made. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now some of you know that for the past couple of years I've been completing a theological degree. One of the things that all of my professors have said any time I'm asked to write a paper is this always state your main argument clearly at the head of your work. They call it a thesis statement. Make your statement, make your claim, make your argument crystal clear right at the start and then make your paper essentially evidence that substantiates your claim. Verses 11 and 12, these are Paul's primary argument in the first section of this letter. His gospel that he proclaims, is not man-made. It is God's gospel. Then in verses 13 to 24, he proceeds to substantiate his argument from history. That is, from the facts of his own autobiography. What he's doing is he's saying to the believers and everyone in Galatia, listen to my story. Hear how I was totally opposed to this gospel at one point in my life. And hear of how God in his grace broke in and changed everything. And let this, my story, be evidence to convince you that this gospel is not something that I've made up. It is something that finds its origins in God. And what we have here then in verses 13 to 24 is a real gift. We have the Apostle Paul in these verses sharing his testimony, his story of how he was transformed by the grace of God and converted from being an opponent of the gospel to being an embracer of the gospel. And so there's a few angles we could come at this passage this morning, but what I want to do is take the time this morning to reflect on Paul's testimony, to experience the power of it. And I want us to learn three lessons from Paul's conversion story on the nature of Christian conversion in general. Now, we can do this because though every Christian's specific story of conversion is different, the general plot line of how we are saved is the same for all of us. The goal in our reflection this morning on Paul's conversion is that we would remember again that God's work in our lives is not something Man made. Not something that started with us, but something that found its origins in God. And we need this reminder all the time because we can forget the amazing nature of grace all too quickly. So, this is here to help us rediscover our wonder so that by the end we'll be saying, Amazing grace. So, three lessons on the nature of conversion from Paul's testimony. Lesson one By nature, we are all rejectors of the gospel of grace. This is precisely where Paul begins as he begins to share his story in verse 13 he reflects here on what he calls his former life in Judaism. Paul was by birth Jewish. He was a passionate legalist who believed that if he was devoted devoted enough to the Old Testament law of Moses, he could earn his way into the good books with God. At this stage in his life, before his conversion, he was totally opposed to the Christian gospel that claimed people, sinners, could be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from obedience to the Mosaic law. That gospel enraged Paul. The idea that there were people saying that Jews and Gentiles could be made right with God by just trusting Jesus and not obeying the Old Testament laws and cultures and traditions of the fathers, that's going to cause people to play fast and loose with the law. And Paul hated it. In fact, he gives here three statements that show how committed he was to his Judaism and how opposed he was to the gospel of grace that we could be made right with God through faith in Christ. First statement, verse 13. He said, I, back then, I persecuted the church of God and I violently tried to destroy it. Now, we have a treat in that we can turn back to Acts 8 and 9 and read of Paul in his pre conversion life. We read there that Paul was one of the ones who approved Stephen's execution. We read that he was ravaging the church of Christ, searching people's houses, dragging Christians off to prison so that they could be executed. We read that he was breathing out murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. Paul, before he was converted, was like a member of a Jewish equivalent of ISIS or the Taliban. He was just so passionate about crushing the Christian movement and crushing Christians. That's what he's saying so that we will get that he was a very unlikely convert. Second statement he makes to show how serious he was in his zeal for Judaism. Verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. He was a student of the Hebrew Scriptures before he was a Christian. He was a Pharisee. He was on the fast land, becoming one of the greatest, most revered rabbis of his day. The third statement he makes then is in verse 14 as well. Zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He was full of nationalistic pride in his Jewishness. He was proud of anyone or anything that related to his Judaism. And anything or anyone who would speak against his law that he valued so highly and his customs that he loved, anyone that would speak against it, they were a valid target for his Jewish form of jihad. Now, why is he emphasizing his former life like this? Well, he's saying to the Galatians, look, if anyone was an unlikely convert to the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, it was me. Now, though Paul was a religious extremist and a persecutor of the church, I want us just to pause for a moment to remember that you don't have to go to such lengths to be considered a rejecter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 1, to 23, the apostle Paul explains that in our fallen state, having inherited the sin and guilt of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we are all born by nature to be rejectors of the gospel of God's grace. Paul explains at the beginning of the book of Romans that deep down, every single human being knows that there is a God that they need to get right with. But because of our fallen natural condition, we in our unrighteousness suppress that truth. If you imagine that truth about God being something that's trying to get out of the box of everyone's heart, we in our fallen state just keep slamming the lid down. Don't want to think about it. Don't want to know about it. I want to be my God. Don't want anyone else to be my God. In unrighteousness, we suppress the truth that we know deep down by nature. Paul elsewhere in his letters describes this natural state that was each of our natural states before conversion. And he uses lots of different word pictures to try and communicate this natural state of being a gospel rejecter. So for example, elsewhere in Romans, he speaks of humans being by nature futile in their minds, having darkened hearts. In 2 Corinthians 4, he speaks of humanity by nature being blind to the gospel of the glory of Christ. And in Ephesians, he says, By nature we were dead in sins, far off from God, without God and without hope in the world. We were once in darkness and by nature children of wrath. You don't have to be a very bad person to be a rejecter of the gospel of grace. You could be a very good person and be a rejecter of the gospel of God's grace. You could be a very successful person, a very nice person. It doesn't really matter. If you're human, you have inherited a nature that is fallen. And by nature, without some divine intervention of grace, you would always push away the gospel of God's grace. Because that's your natural proclivity. You will always by nature, left to yourself, be a rejecter of God's grace. A suppressor of the truth. If you're spiritually dead, what else can transform you other than a work of spiritual resurrection? Resurrection. And that's now where we go as we move to think of this second lesson on the nature of conversion from Paul's testimony. First, he has demonstrated that he, by nature, was a rejecter of the gospel of God's grace. And for Paul, this found its expression in his Jewish extremism. We know that Our story mirrors Paul because our plot line we're told in Scripture is the same. We, by nature, all are rejectors of this gospel. And so here's the second lesson on the nature of conversion from where Paul goes next. God takes the initiative in breaking in to our darkness with gospel light. In verses 13 and 14, when Paul spoke of his former life in Judaism, he spoke of what he did to earn his religious standing. He says, I persecuted the church. I advanced in Judaism. I was zealous for the tradition of my fathers. But now, in verse 15, when he turns to speak of God's work to change his life, Notice how the subject changes from himself to God. He speaks of the God who had set him apart before he was born, of the God who called him by grace, and of the God who was pleased to reveal his Son in him. Now, I want us now to just slow down and just take each of those precious statements so that we can reflect on, meditate on, and see God's wonderful saving initiative in Paul's life and then recognize how this is also the story of how God saved us. Number one, Paul says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, Paul wants us to see that God took the initiative to save Paul and call Paul into ministry by grace. God took the initiative to call and save Paul, and he took that initiative before Paul was even born. Once again, this is not just true for Paul, this is true for every Christian. And in Ephesians 1, 3 to 5, Paul unpacks this more fully. He writes there, He chose us in Him. So that's God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And then he goes on to say, According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. Now, before too many questions arise in your heart and mind, I want to encourage you to just receive this truth by faith and let it sink in. God took the initiative to set you apart for himself before you were ever born, if you are in Christ. If you're here this morning and you are truly a Christian, you can say, wow, before I was even born, God took the initiative to set me apart for himself. I contributed Nothing to that decision. God didn't look down the corridors of the future way back at the beginning of time and see that I'd be really good and that I would choose him and then on that basis he chose me. No. Because that would put the foundation of your salvation in yourself. That you were smart enough to choose him. No. This is what we call unconditional election. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world according to the purpose of his will. This is so that God would be praised for his glorious grace. He gets all the glory because he initiated that choice. It didn't come from anything in me. It came from everything in Him. And I want to invite you just to let that truth humble you deeply. He set me apart before I was born. Now let's move to think of this second precious statement Paul makes. For this prenatal choice led to a historic call. Paul now says, He who called me by his grace. Verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace. Think of Paul's story. When God met him and called him and saved him, he was actively raging against the Lord Jesus Christ, persecuting Christ's church. He was the most bigoted, nationalistic, religious extremist around. He hated Jesus. And his name. And yet, Jesus moved towards Paul in grace. God's grace is his utterly undeserved loving kindness. Paul did not deserve God's grace, he didn't deserve mercy. He didn't deserve God's loving kindness. He did not earn God's favor. Yet God, in grace, called him and freely showered his mercy upon him. And now let's think of our own story. Because this is not just Paul's story, this is a story of every Christian. We all have different stories of that time when God called us to himself by grace But here's what I want you to grasp this morning. He called you by grace and not by your merit. He called you entirely by His grace and not by one drop of your merit. You did not deserve His love because of your natural proclivity to reject Him. You did not deserve His grace. You did not deserve His loving kindness. Yet God in grace called you and showered His goodness and mercy upon you. Again, let me invite you to let this humble you deeply and let thanksgiving rise up from within. Think of what you were while you were still a sinner. He freely moved towards you. He called you by his grace. And now then we're ready for this third statement Paul makes about his conversion. Verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his Son to or in me. God's gracious call of Paul was a sovereign work where God, was, God the Father was pleased to reveal his son in Paul by the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Paul had heard of Jesus before. He knew about the historic Jesus. He knew all about what the disciples were claiming, but he rejected it. He rejected Jesus in unbelief. But when God called Paul by grace, God revealed the true nature of Jesus in Paul's heart and in his mind. We could say that Christ was born in Paul's heart and soul. That's why I think we should preserve the rendering of verse 16. He was pleased to reveal his son in me. The ESV says to me and gives an in in the footnote. NIV is kept in me, and I think the KJV has in me. It's really quite significant because later in Galatians 2.20, Paul's going to speak of being crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He was pleased to reveal his son in me. Me. Think about what happened, Paul, on that road to Damascus when he met the risen Jesus. It was an external unveiling of Jesus Christ. I say external because Paul actually saw and met the risen Lord Jesus. Yet, on a far deeper level, this was a work of inner illumination in his heart Because God the Father sent the Holy Spirit into Paul's heart so that he would not just have heard of Jesus and have acknowledged that Jesus existed, but so that he would see the glory of the true identity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of humanity. Paul's conversion was a work of inner illumination in his heart. So that that heart that was once shrouded in darkness would be flooded with light. And once again, this is not just Paul's story. This is our story. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4 6. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in, did he say, my heart? He said, In our hearts. He's writing to Christians. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. He shone in my heart on the road to Damascus. He shone in your hearts when you saw the glory of Christ. He shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This always reminds me of the hymn, And Can It Be, the, fir- the fourth verse. You know I quote this often because I love it. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke and the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's our story. Why did God do this for us? Well, Paul tells us in verse 16, simply because he was pleased to do so. Look at what he says, when God was pleased to reveal his Son in me, it pleased God to do this work of grace in your life. It wasn't done begrudgingly, like, well, I chose them before the foundation of the world, before they were born, and now I'm stuck. No. With all the divine energy and love in the Godhead, God was delighted to move into your life with creative power, giving you light and making you part of his new creation. It was a new creation work, like the original creation where he said, let there be light, and there was light. That creation became fallen under the curse, now bound to decay. But when God said in your heart, let there be light, he did a new creation work in your life. He made you new. And he did all of that for you because it pleased him to do so. In Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, God said to his people Israel after the Exodus, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. Now, do you hear that? The logic there. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. It wasn't because of anything you did that made God set his love on you. But it is because he loves you. (laughs) He loves you because he loves you. He chose you because he chose you in love. That is the answer scripture gives for why did he do this? Not because of anything in us, but because of everything in him. Once again, let this humble you deeply. And let me just ask you this. Has everything I've just explained happened to you? Have you seen the glory of Christ? Has Christ been born in your heart? Have you been born again, created anew in Christ Jesus? If so, Where's your thankfulness? Where's your astonishment? Where's the sheer wonder that once characterized your walk with God? Oh, pray that the Lord would restore the wonder again at the amazing nature of His grace in your heart. If this hasn't happened to you, Maybe God has brought you here now this morning to hear of the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. Maybe now through this message God is calling you by grace. I would exhort you to turn and to respond and to receive his gracious call and reject him no more. Now let's just recap where we've come to at this point. I've said we're trying to identify three, nature, three uh, elements of the nature of conversion from Paul's testimony. We've seen that by nature, like Paul, we are rejectors of God's grace. Like Paul, God took the initiative in breaking into our lives with gospel light. And our third lesson. Gospel Light when it has truly broken into the heart, totally changes the life. In verse 16, Paul said, God was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul says essentially here, my life is now all about him. True gospel impact brings true gospel transformation Let's not lower the bar on true conversion. Let's acknowledge progressive sanctification, yes, but let's not lower the bar on true conversion. True gospel impact brings true gospel transformation. Paul explained in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that Christ died for our sins so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but we would live for Him. That is, we would bring our whole lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. How this works in, out in our lives, it works itself out in many ways. The life lived under the Lordship of Christ. It is expressed in so many ways. For example, we, by nature, we just want to keep all our money for ourselves. But now, because he's our Lord, we relax our grip. and We give generously to kingdom work, to our local church. We might want to, by nature, again live in this place or serve in this place, but again, we surrender that right to the Lord and say, "Lord, not where I want to be, where you want me to be." We might want to use our time one way, but the Lord calls us to put all our time on the altar and say, "Lord, I'm going to use my time instead of just sitting watching TV. I'm going to serve a local church. I'm going to go to." St. Patrick's Day evangelism and stand there in the street and try to talk to people about Jesus. Or if I can't do that, I'm going to pray for it. I'm not just going to sit and scroll on my phone all day long. I'm actually going to give my time to serving the kingdom. We may want to, by nature, hide our light under a bowl so that people won't think we're weirdos. But Jesus wants us to let our light shine so that we can be his witnesses. And so living our lives under the lordship of Christ means we put everything on the altar and say, Lord, it's not mine anymore, it's all yours. Take it, use it for your glory. And for Paul, this meant a life of preaching Christ as a cross-cultural missionary and church planter for the rest of his life. Look at how he accounts in verse 17, how he went into Arabia, that's modern-day Saudi Arabia, And then he went back to Damascus. Then in verse 21, he speaks of going into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. We know from his missionary journeys in Acts the extent of his journeys for the gospel. He preached the very faith he once totally tried to destroy. And look at how the news of this impacted others in verse 23. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. People heard of what God had done in Paul's life and they praised God because of the evidence of the transforming power of the gospel in the most unlikely of converts. And When I reflect on this, I just find it deeply encouraging. Who's the most unlikely convert in your life that you know? This gospel has power to break into that hard heart, into the heart of the hardest sinner and totally transform their lives in an instant. This gospel, remember, also has the power to break into the heart of the most indifferent sinner because not everyone's absolutely opposed. Loads of people just totally indifferent. Well, this grace, this powerful gospel can transform the most indifferent sinner. Sinner. This is the gospel that changes lives. Why? Because it is a gospel that finds its par source in God himself. And this brings us back to Paul's primary argument. He's saying, my gospel, Galatians, the message I proclaim of hope in Christ alone is not man-made. It finds its origins in God. This gospel totally changed my life because it is the power of God unto salvation. Hear my story. Hear how this gospel transformed me. Do you really want to walk away from this gospel to try and find a gospel that has its source in you, making your own effort to get to God? In closing, when we reflect on what Paul is doing here, we see that he is simply bearing witness to what God has done in his life. That's what this passage is. What did Jesus call his disciples to do just before he departed this earth to go back to heaven? He said, you're going to receive power from on high and you will be my witnesses. I find this really encouraging. We're not all called to be super theologians who can articulate the finer points of doctrine. But we are all called to be witnesses. Witnesses to the work of God in our lives. And any of us can do that if we are in Christ. We can share our story. And so what I want to leave you with this morning is just an encouragement to essentially follow Paul's example. Share your story with people of how grace has met you and changed you, how God in his grace has met you and changed you. In the midst of it, clearly explain the gospel, that God saves you by grace through Christ. Pray this week for opportunities to share your story, to be a witness, be eager and ready to do so. John Newton, the 18th century author, of the hymn that I began with, Amazing Grace, was a man who, after his conversion, did this in a very simple way. If ever there was an unlikely convert, it was Newton. He was a human trafficker. He was a rough and ruthless man. If there could be a human who had no compassion in their hearts, Newton was that man. He had absolutely no desire for God in his former life. He was a seafarer and once on the sea experienced a massive storm. It scared the life life out of him. And he said for the first time in his life, he breathed out a desire for mercy. That was the start of God breaking into his life and changing him completely. Towards the end of Newton's life, he testified, he bore witness to what God had done in his life. And here's what he said. It is certain that I am not what I ought to be, but blessed be God, I am not what I once was. God has mercifully brought me up out of the deep mary clay and set my feet upon the rock Christ Jesus, he has saved my soul, and now it is my heart's desire to extol and honor his matchless, free, sovereign, and distinguishing grace, because by the grace of God, I am what I am. It is my heart's great joy to ascribe my salvation entirely to the grace of God, And now, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Let's pray. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Father, thank you for this plotline of how you save sinners. Set apart by grace before we were born, called by grace in history transformed by grace throughout the rest of our lives. It was grace that caused our hearts to fear and it was your grace that took that fear away. Thank you, Lord. And as we sit together now, basking in appreciation for that grace. I just pray, Lord, for the person here this morning that doesn't know that grace, who are far from you. Oh, Lord, just now, would you send that divine and supernatural light to awaken them to the glory and true identity of your Son? Lord, for each of us, just stoke in us a greater humility because of grace and a deeper appreciation of grace so that as we respond now in song singing of that grace that called us home, I just pray, Lord, that we would sing and it would be more than just lip service, but from the depths of our hearts we would sing of the amazing nature of what you've done for us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's respond by singing of the Lord's grace together. We need to sing Amazing Grace, the first verse together. Can we do that? Amazing. thank you so much for that amazing grace, how sweet the sound, and may the sound of it never lose its sweetness in our ears. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.